we have to really think deeply about our identity, about who we are, and ask ourselves questions about it before we shut out that possibility. Because it's that possibility that can then help us grow and develop and be something that we never imagined, which I couldn't have imagined, you know, that I would be here when I was in my 20s thinking I would be making a living as a harpsichordist. This is Women on the Rise, the show about the self-care choices women make to fuel their success in business and life. I'm your host, Laura Dolch. This season, we're widening the lens to talk about resilience, reinvention, and what happens when women refuse to put themselves last. All of which is made possible, of course, when we know ourselves and practice our deeply personal and ever-evolving kind of self-care. Listen in for inspiration and practical tools to help you thrive in a world that often tells women that everyone matters more than them. Hey everyone, it's Lara. Happy Leo season. No, I'm not a Leo. I'm a Taurus, but I have loved many Leos in my life and still do. And I apparently have more of them in my Instagram feed than I realized. (laughs) And if you also know Leos, you know that they always make sure that you see them. So Yeah. Happy birthday to all of my Leo listeners. I see you. This week's episode is the last one of the summer season. And it was an especially fun one for me because I chatted with one of my coworkers at Oxygen, the management consulting and workplace education firm I work for. So not only will you get to hear Catherine Shaw's reinvention story, but you'll also get to listen in as she and I get to know each other better. We've only been working together since March. But before I introduce you to Catherine, I want to remind you that there are two main ways that you can support the podcast right now, which I always appreciate. The first is to share it with a friend or colleague who could use a little inspiration in the area of self-care, resilience, and or reinvention. And the second is to leave a rating or review for the show on Apple Podcasts, or really wherever you listen. It's just that Apple Podcast reviews happen to be the most helpful because they are still the biggest podcast platform. It only takes a few minutes, and it is a huge help to the show. Thank you so much for considering it. Catherine Chow is head of Oxygen's sales enablement practice, where she creates alignment among stakeholders in HR, sales, marketing, and learning and development to achieve specific business outcomes. Before joining Oxygen, Catherine worked for 10 years at Forrester Research. But if you'd met Catherine during her college or graduate school years, you would have been talking to an aspiring professional musician who specialized in the harpsichord of all instruments. So how did she get from there to here? That's what I wanted to know. We talked about the skills that Catherine honed as a musician that turned out to be valuable in the business world, why nothing in your life or career is ever wasted time or effort, the question to ask yourself when things aren't working out as you expected, the myth of the solo hero or artist or entrepreneur, and how it might keep you from getting on the next right path for you, and what Catherine learned about reinvention from her immigrant father. Also, Catherine is my first guest to name her own episode. (laughs) Sounds like a game show, doesn't it? All the Things You Are is a beloved jazz standard recorded by countless artists over the years, and it's one of Catherine's favorites. Not only that, but it pretty much sums up our conversation, which is why she suggested it. Enjoy my chat with Catherine, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Be safe 
and healthy and be an ally to those who need your voice. It is more powerful than you might realize. I'll see you back here in the fall. Anything I can tell you that would make this fun for you? Um, I'm already having fun. <laughs> I got like I had I had my cucumbers and hummus and I've, you know, have my little glass of sipping rum. And I, I have, love it. A housewarming present. So it's nice. great. I and love it. The cucumbers is it's like crazy because I have a bag of cucumbers right now from the last three or four days and it's like 15 cucumbers. Well, yeah, we have to talk about that. And 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 I'm <laughs> by the way, this is totally going in the episode, what we're having, what we're talking about right now, because I think it's so fun that we're recording this at the end of the day and you are on the East Coast. And so, you know, you got your cocktail. I love it. Yes. Totally. I feel like at four o'clock on the West Coast, it's kind of borderline. Like I could, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could it's, get a cocktail. It's pushing it. It's, it's pushing it. Like it's totally... four o'clock for me, I, I can't really, I can't really see it. It's got to be post 6 p.m., you know, oh, interesting. See, my yeah. sweet spot for happy hour is more like 5.30. And I should, mm. I should also just quickly tell my listeners, like as we're kind of having this sort of side conversation, how I know you. So Catherine is a coworker of mine. So we started working together, what, back in March, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so we're still getting to know each other, which makes this conversation even more fun for me. And what I know about Catherine that is relevant to what she just said about the cucumbers is that she has a <laughs> beautiful garden in her home. And I want to talk about that because I love that story. But before we do that, could you just, for my listeners, share a little bit about your about your professional background and sort of your journey to where you are now? Because I that's part of my interest is in that. And I think it's, it's super cool. It's so interesting because like, you know how when you're in college and you're thinking, God, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And, you know, you decide on a major, you do this, you know, whatever it is you do it never really ends up being that. I mean, unless you're going into something very specialized profession. And when I was in college, I had no idea, which I I think a lot of people have no idea what they want to do. And I was like, well, I want to be a musician, I guess, because I'd been playing piano since a very, very young age. And I loved music and playing piano. And yet it was very like, there was some conflict in that kind of sense of identity about being a musician that I didn't know at the time. But I, I kind of just, you know, waddled through, you know, college and I majored in, in liberal arts stuff and music. And then I and then I decided to go to graduate school and I got a master's degree in harpsichord, early music, which is an unusual specialized music field. Um, but I still wasn't really thinking, I, I don't know, I, I had this very idealized view of what I was going to do career-wise. And, you know, I learned very quickly after getting out of graduate school that there was no way on earth that I would be able to make a living as a musician, especially a harpsichordist. I mean, maybe section violin, but harpsichord, not possible. So I actually started looking at just other options to make a living you know, whether it was temping or whether it was, you know, waitressing, which I was actually very familiar with because my family had owned a restaurant growing up. And I just, you know, I just had to find my way and I had to adapt and I had to shift my expectation about what I thought I was going to be doing and 
I had this long kind of circuitous path through, you know, the temping and the technology area and then the business. And then I ended up kind of where I am today, which is a fairly high-end consultant for oxygen. And before that, I was even doing, you know, analysis. And people are always like, how did you get from being a musician to where you're at? And I'm like, I don't know, you just have to like make adjustments as you go. So, I mean, that's like the really short version of the story. I mean, there's some definitely a lot of color along the way. Well, and let's talk about some of that color because I definitely, because that's that's the good stuff, right? But I love, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting too. I wonder about your reaction to this, but like when someone asks you, how did you go from musician to technology? And like, honestly, to me, like they don't seem that, different. I mean, in some ways, they don't seem different. Do you, does that resonate with you? Totally. And and lots of people would say that they'd say, Oh, did you work with computers, which I did, which I was never a very good programmer, but I was actually just simply unafraid of the PC when it when it was a thing when it first came out, right. So I figured it out, figured out how to use it, you know, dove right in. And, and that's when I would say like, Oh, I work with computers, really what I was was an IT like technician for a number of years. And people would say, well, that makes sense because you're a musician and, you know, technology. And, and I kind of thought, okay, well, if it makes sense, great. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of musicians who won't touch technology ever. They're like, oh, I can't do that stuff. Just, you know, I got to go over here and play the guitar. You know, totally. So, it's like the it's like that, you know, the right brain, left brain thing. And, and people forget that they're connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, but they're right. one brain. <laughs> yes. Yes. They are one brain. Although the two sides, apparently I, I heard this. The two sides only really talk to each other when you're taking a shower. Is that right? Seriously? There's something about what you know, when you're taking a shower and you kind of let go you know, um, of how you normally process things. And you ever like notice that you have really good ideas in the shower? A hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. So, so I, I believe that's because the two lobes are actually communicating with each other in the shower. Yeah. And I should also tell my listeners that, you know, Catherine and I are like total like psychology and learning nerds. I mean, it's a big part of our Mm -hmm. work. So... (laughs) So that's these side conversations could be like massive rabbit holes for us. But wait, I'm guessing that just to take a quick aside, and then I want to come back to your story, but the type of activity that, you know, being in the shower represents like an activity in which you're not focused on, you know, problem solving or, you know, something that lets your brain sort of loosen up. I'm sure there must be other activities that would like, like, for example, when I go for a run often, mm-hmm. I'll also have those kinds of aha moments like I do in the yes. shower. Yep, I I would do that. Um, So I think of that type of time as like, sometimes there's processing time. And for processing time, when I just want to like, not do much, but do something. It used to be like, uh, you know, I learned how to knit. And for a while, that was like annoying to people in my household. And so I I didn't knit that much. I don't know why it annoyed them. It's like, oh, are you knitting again? You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but then like, you know, when we had the phones, there's this one game that I play on my phone. It's called Two Dots. And I just, you know, I'll just zone out and play that game because I'm not really zoning out. I'm actually thinking about stuff. But it's not like what you said. It's not like running. It's not like, the shower to me is like the ultimate 
ability to get a good idea is like, you know, you almost want to codify like, and, and we do this at Oxygen. We, we like to, when we facilitate groups, when there's a hard decision to make, we like to have another day afterwards so that people can sleep on it and take a shower. And then the next day we can ask them, okay, tell us what your shower moment was, you know? Well, and I think it's interesting that the shower is what you've locked in on because, well, and also yeah. what you were saying about the lo- the two sides, the lobes of the brain communicating, because I've also read that the, the like you're saying, the processing thing, and I think anyone who is... I was going to say in a creative profession, but I think every profession is creative. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But like anyone, yeah. you know, who has to yeah process stuff or is learning something new and is l- hoping those skills will settle in. Yeah, sleep, there's something, there is some process in the brain that where your brain sort of cleanses itself and like helps those connections be made. And so like I read some article once about a musician, oddly enough, who was learning a new piece of music or learning to play a new instrument or something. And they had measured sort of the the jump in his or her ability after a good night's sleep versus without something like that. Mm-hmm. And yep. it was, you know, a huge jump because again, those connections were allowed to be made. Right. And actually, so, so getting back to the music theme, you know, for me, and I, Actually, interestingly, recently, I haven't played music for a while. Part of it has been because of COVID and being oddly just not feeling like it. (laughs) But what I used to do is I would play music and I would think, what is my brain doing when I'm like playing on the keyboard and playing, you know, a Bach fugue, the level of activity and stuff going on in my brain and potentially processing without being you know, cognitively aware that I'm processing, that's all got to be happening. And in fact, they've studied that. Um, there's a Oliver Sacks who has passed on, but like has written a lot of books about the effect of music on the brain. He wrote a couple of books and, you know, he talks a lot about the relationship between music and what happens in the brain. And I think there's probably some other stuff on YouTube too, that <laughs> you could watch, but Lots of things like the music, the act of playing music and all of the activity that it entails is one thing. And then we have to really think deeply about our identity, about who we are, and ask ourselves questions about it before we shut out that possibility. Because it's that possibility that can then help us grow and develop and be something that we never imagined, which yeah. I couldn't have imagined, you know, that I would be here when I was in my 20s, thinking I would be making a living as a harpsichordist and how to improvise. And that I could feel my brain, like, resisting yet developing. It was fascinating. Totally. No, I can totally... I probably there. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. It's all good. Trust me. It's all good. And I know, but I can totally relate to that. I'm trying to think, like, it's that flow state. I mean, that's the only thing I can think to describe, it. you know, the way that I've experienced it is, like, whatever the activity is that you are able to get into that flow state where your brain is focused but relaxed. It's such a cool feeling. So I do want to talk about that because I think, you know, as far as improvisation and business and stuff, but I, I, I'm curious as a musician and as you were sort of making this transition into the business world, whether it was intentional or not, what was surprising to you about the business world coming from a music background? Um, Well, I had always thought of them as so separate. Like, I'm like, here's me, the musician. And then here's me, the corporate lady or whatever, you know, the, the corporate person. And 
and never the twain shall meet, you know, like I didn't want those worlds to collide when I was younger. And so to me, the business world was how to say, there was a kind of lowest common denominator aspect to it because people would show up for work, you know, and have a common thing they had to do, which was their job or their role. And then who they were as a person, whether they were a musician or like, you know, a hippie or whatever it was, was kind of like sidelined, you know, and you had this kind of like culture of everybody behaves in a certain way and you talk a certain way and use certain terminology and all that kind of stuff. And I always felt like what I was doing in the business world was kind of like checking my other self at the door and then walking in the door of the business world and like, you know, being that person. I even changed my name. I used to be, you know, growing up, I was Kathy, not Catherine. And when I made this shift, I was like, I I didn't even know it at the time, but I decided I was going to be Catherine and not Kathy when I went into this business world as if that would somehow like, I don't know, established a, a new identity for myself. And I have to say, like at the time I was also, like I mentioned, there was conflict about being a musician. I was super frustrated that I couldn't make a living. Like I, cause you know, my husband at the time, or maybe he was my boyfriend at the time. Um, he's a fabulous oboe player. He's probably like one of the best oboe players on the, on the planet. And he was doing great. And I kind of felt like I was in his shadow and like, I wasn't really living up to the scene. Like I thought that's what I should be, you know? And, and I was frustrated that I couldn't achieve that level of commitment. And and I felt actually a little bit ashamed that I was like, how can I call myself a musician when I can't do X, Y, or Z? So there's this lot of complicated dynamics at the time of wanting to be in this creative profession knowing it was hard, knowing it was economically not the greatest, you know, profession to be in. And then deciding to be in this business world where I, I kind of had that little like chip on the shoulder of, hey, well, if I can't do it there, I'm going to do it over here, you know. And, you know, that's not an entirely healthy reason for going into it. But, you know, we never have like black and white reasons for doing those types of things. It's, it's kind of messy. And we just have to make those decisions as we go. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's so much to unpack there. I'm curious about how (laughs) you... Well, so there are two things that come to mind for me. One is, how did you sort of reconcile that and come to terms with that? And then the the other question, which I'll, I'll bring up again later, is how did you find that creativity in the business space? But let's talk about how you... Yeah. How did you come to terms with this, you know, gosh, I can't make a living in the way that I want to? It was definitely a struggle. And I think it's, you know, when we're young, and I mean, like, really young adolescents becoming young adults, I think we, we really grasp to establish an identity, whatever it's going to be. And it, and it might not even be a very sophisticated view of identity. It's just, that'll do. Bonk, you know, that's me. And that's just what youth is. In a way, I think that's what being young is about, is that things are a little blocky. You don't get that nuance of what life will bring <laughs> in the decades to come, you know. And, and later on, I guess part of it was I had to let go of this idea of me being a musician and ask myself, well, why do I do this? Why do I play music? Well, part of it is I love it. It's like wonderful to be able to play an instrument. It's very rewarding. But part of it was a little bit like, 
you know, there's some ego there. There's some like, I want to prove myself. There's some, I can, I can be an artist too. watch, you know, just watch. And yet still like coupled with that, a lot of insecurity. And I, I basically, I think I had to just do a lot of self-analysis and, you know, reflection and ask myself, why did I think those things? And who am I really? And of course, as that's all happening, I'm, you know, slowly building up expertise in this business world. And I've got technology and I've got, you know, and I, and I had some skills to be able to apply there. And, and the more I did that, the more validation I got that that was working, that I could use those skills. And still, I would say for almost a couple of decades, I considered music and business to be fairly separate. But little by little, I started to see this like convergence where I was like, oh, maybe the reason I can actually run a meeting or, you know, talk to people is because I've been up on stage so many times and I know what that feels like. And I know so much what that feels like that I know how to manage it at any given moment of being on the spot, in front of people, whatever that might be. That's one aspect. The other aspect is as a musician, you have to practice or nothing will happen, (laughs) right? And if you want to get good at something, there's this kind of like very much daily repetitive thing that you do. But then you also know when you get better at it, you can feel it and you can feel it very tangibly. And I felt like in the business world, there was always this right away, right now, have to be able to do it. And yet having the perspective of knowing that certain things take time to do gave me a little more patience and gave me the ability to utilize that sort of creative process of, well, it's going to feel a little weird at first and things are going to feel a little um, ambiguous. And then little by little with a little bit more effort and action, things will you know, come together and then we'll bring that into some other phase. And just knowing that those things were going to go in that trajectory, I think was very helpful in the business world. And it started to make me realize that it was pretty much the same thing that was happening. I love that. Well, and I also love like what you were talking about being able to connect the dots between skills that you had developed in this earlier career and where they were helpful in your current career. Because I think that often when things sort of fall apart or when, you know, chapters of our career or our life sort of end, we're like, oh my gosh, it was wasted, you know, and nothing ever is wasted. Like it just isn't. I totally agree with that. I totally, I'm hundred percent with you. Nothing is wasted if that's how you look at it. Totally agree. And it's interesting because I would, um, I met so many musicians who felt like they were doing one, they were living their dream, which is great. But at the same time, they were almost trapped by it. Like, you know, they were like, I I don't, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. You know, does the work dry up? Well, what if you were a real estate agent? Because, you know, there's a lot of transferable skills to like talking with people and assessing a situation and reading like, and, you know, musician friends of mine were like, no, I can't do that. I just can't do that. So it was like, it just, the idea of them doing something different in their career was almost a violation of their sense of identity, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I don't know, I feel like, you know, we have to really think deeply about our identity, about who we are and ask ourselves questions about it before we shut out that possibility. Because it's that possibility that can then help us grow and develop and 
be something that we never imagined, which I couldn't have imagined, you know, that I would be here when I was in my 20s thinking I would be making a living as a harpsichordist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. What questions would you say people should ask themselves? Like if someone's listening to this and they're in a similar situation, like what, what kind of questions are helpful or were helpful for you? I find that asking why a lot, like why, why am I doing this? But not in that kind of fatalistic why, but like a curious why. Like, what's driving me toward this thing? And, and you know, is it interest? Is it ego? Is it insecurity? Is it, you know, some of those things? And to, like, really reflect on that is helpful because it forces you into being honest. You have to be honest with yourself about where you're at. And, you know, when I finally was, or there wasn't, like, a moment where I was honest with myself. It, it developed, and I realized, one, well, I could have continued to be a musician if I had wanted to do, you know, pickup gigs and church organist jobs and things that just like really didn't appeal to me. Like I would think about doing those things and I was like, ugh, you know, so that, that didn't work. So if I was so, so bent on being, you know, a musician at all costs, sure, I would have done those things. But I had to ask myself the question, do I really want to be a musician that badly? Or do I want something different? Like, oh, I don't know, financial stability. And I also realized that financial stability, it wasn't going to come from anybody else, but me. And that's another maybe big lesson in my life was that we grow up with certain stereotypes, we think maybe we're going to marry somebody and they're going to have the stability or we're going to or it's going to come from a parent or whatever. But for me, I was like, oh, okay, nobody else is going to do this except for me. I have to do this. And so I made very different choices that provided me with like that long-term ability to just have a career and, and make a living that was helped me be financially stable. Well, and it's not like you're not a musician. You are still a musician. You just aren't. I am doing it yeah. professionally, so to speak. I don't even know what that means, really. Like, <laughs> right. how, who, who decides if it's a professional thing or not? <laughs> right. Well, and I, I've, I've done it professionally for long enough that it, it doesn't actually matter one way or another. <laughs> and I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a band now. We perform. Well, not these days we don't perform. But when things were, quote, normal, <laughs> we were, you know, gigging and doing stuff. And, and I think that kind of was the... It, it, it's not like that's the only thing that I would be doing as a musician, but it was a project, a thing. And I kept myself busy with lots of those types of projects. Well, and I love what you said about the, you know, you made a choice about financial stability that was different from a choice that you had made about that earlier in your life. And that's okay. And like, I feel like sometimes I can just speak personally, like the pressure that we put on ourselves to succeed at a thing at all costs, as you said. And like, then you're like, wait a minute, like I can, I'm relating to it as a, as an entrepreneur, because, you know, building a business is not an easy thing. I mean, you know, you're building a business, you have been as part of Oxygen for years, but it's like doing it solo is not an easy, (laughs) and that was the path that I chose. And I was like, what am I doing? I need to be part of a team (laughs) again. Like, and it's just, and that was a choice. And yes, financial stability is part of that equation too. And like, I don't know why we put so much pressure on ourselves, especially when we consider ourselves creative. Like there's something about this Mm -hmm. 
What is that about, do you think? Like, why to create, like, people who identify as creative mm-hmm. put so much pressure on ourselves to, like, it's like the not selling out thing or something. I don't even know what that means. Like, why is yeah, making yeah. money selling out? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing. I think the idea of being a creative, that an artist can only be an artist if they go all in, whatever that means. Yeah, it's like the starving artist thing. It's like you have to be starving like and have no money in order to be an artist, which is ridiculous. Well, and and I there I think there are plenty of artists that are not starving and have money and have been very successful and 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 I mean, I don't know that it's so much about like there's this criteria and when you meet it, you are actually an artist, right? Like that doesn't mean much. I do think that like culturally, we put a lot of emphasis on the solo hero. You know, this person did it all, whether it was art or or any other big achievement, when in fact, what's probably behind that is something more team-based, more community-based or something that is kind of like hidden and also just not as sensational as one person becoming that be-all, end-all artist type person. But that's, I think that has to do largely with the way people perceive what is art, what means, what does art mean in our, um, in our world? And, and how do we decide what is art and what isn't? After I um, decided I was going to make a big shift into the jazz world, which was like maybe around 2011, 2012, and maybe a little bit before then, like I had to shift my brain and kind of learn a whole new genre, a whole new art form. And then, but but by the time I was done, I was composing, which I hadn't really done a lot of before. I was composing my own music. I made a recording with really great players. And it was like pretty good. Like for me personally, I thought I'm good with what I just created. I think it's like what I would have created. And I don't really have a lot of like, oh, ugh, that's awful. I can't listen to that. <laughs> I'm more like, ah, that's all right. I did pretty good. Nice. You know, and I think that's when it's actually art to me is like I, I created something and I was good with it. And it's funny, when I was a harpsichordist, people used to ask me, what harpsichordist do you, you know, playing do you like? And they figured that I would mention somebody, you know, somebody famous. And I would be like, I like my playing. Nice. And I, to- I love like, it. And I didn't, I didn't mean it in a like egotistical way. It's just that when I would listen to other players, I'd be like, that's not how I would do it. And so <laughs> I just preferred the way I would do it. But not like, you know, I didn't sell tons of CDs or anything like that. I didn't become famous. So, you know, maybe in some people's eyes, what I thought didn't matter. But I think, you know, w- when we think of ourselves as accomplishing something creatively, it has to do with, did, did we think ourselves and the effort that we put into it, are we good with it? And if we are, then, then we did what we set out to do. And nobody else needs to judge that. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and you put things out into the world, any creator of any kind, whether it's music or visual arts or podcasting or business or whatever, you put stuff out into the world and you have to learn how to, I've found, you have to learn how to detach a little bit from the reaction to it. What do people often get wrong about you? Hmm. 
Well, for one thing, I think maybe they think I'm a little more reserved or conservative than I actually am. <laughs> that might be one thing. I actually think I'm, you know, when I show up for work or when I show up for professional situations, I, I'm, I'm professional, right? And I'm very good at that persona, if you will. But I'm, you get to know me and I'm crass, foul-mouthed, all, like all kinds of stuff, you know, and, um, and not easily offended by really much at all, right? So, <laughs> um, so that can translate into a lot of interesting, you know, conversations that don't get recorded. But I think that's one thing is like, I've had to adapt so much that I am almost can be chameleon-like to be in a certain situation and people might be like, Oh, well, that's who she is. But you know, there's a lot more to it than that. Well, and it's, it's just what you were saying earlier about how we still, even today when we have these conversations about bringing your whole self to work, that doesn't, it's sort of a, it sounds great, but it's, it's sort of an artificial, even in a company like oxygen where we are all very, accepting and not even just accepting, but like encourage our differences and our different perspectives. And even in a company like that, like, yeah, like you're still showing up in a professional capacity. And and there's this piece of you that, yeah, sometimes gets left yep. behind. Well, and not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize it as left behind. I mean, look, we all have um, sort of public self, private self, right? And we have, and, and privacy is important and being, we are who we are in private. So probably very differently <laughs> than who we are in public and, you know, potentially with media and, you know, and, and podcasts and things like that. Some people are a lot more open about who their private self is than, than others. But I mean, we always balance that line, I think, between those things and how much we want to reveal of ourselves and how vulnerable we want to be in a working situation. And also, you know, we're, we're toggling that with, okay, what's appropriate? What can other people tolerate? <laughs> the fact that I don't get offended by much, that could rub a lot of people the wrong way. Who knows? <laughs> I love it. I'm wondering about during the pandemic, you, know, you mentioned earlier that you hadn't, I think it was you said you hadn't wanted to, to play mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. much. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I can relate to that too. There are certain things that I thought I would be, like, for example, I thought I would be reading a book a day, you know, but I'm not, and not even close. I can barely focus on a book. But what have you discovered about yourself or your creativity or however you want to frame that during this whole thing? I think that it's like channels, like um, it, it goes into a channel, right? My creativity, I can apply to a lot of different situations and get myself in the headspace of it. Like two years ago, I helped Juliana, our CEO, write a book. And that was like one of the biggest art projects of my life to do something of that scope. But right now, I don't know where I'm at in terms of my head and where, what I want to do creatively is one, I don't feel like I have to impress anybody, which is maybe a little different than I've been in the past couple of years. And I don't think it has to do with the COVID pandemic being in isolation. I'm just more comfortable with who I am. And, and so that urgency and that fire in the belly to prove myself what, like I used to do with creative projects has kind of just 
subsided and I'm more interested in creating things in different ways. Like I have this garden. Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> Which I'm, yes, I know. Like I'm talking to you and I'm staring out my window at this like crazy garden that's just overflowing and I'm learning so much and I'm getting bitten a lot by different like, kinds of <laughs> Because bugs. you live in the Northeast where you have bugs. You have to come out here oh, to the West Coast where we don't have bugs. So well, bugs. we have spiders. Yes. Yes, I know. Well, I used to live in the Bay Area for 13 years and I was amazed at how bug-free it was except for the ants. Yes. The ants, ants were like, how did they get so smart? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, so like the gardening for me, it's been almost like a pent up thing. Like I've been in urban areas for so long, small apartments, you know, little back porch here or something like that. And here I, where I moved uh, from Cambridge, Mass to Beverly and in, you know, I have this really large backyard where there's just so much green and so many flowering plants. And, and then I, and I planted a vegetable garden like to to a scale that I've never done in my life. Usually I was like, I'll grow some lettuce. I'll grow some herbs over here in these containers. This is like, I have zucchini and squash and cucumbers and tomatoes and eggplant and beans. And there's so much of it just coming out every single day now that we're in the middle of July. It's, I'm like overwhelmed in some ways. Like I told you at the beginning, you know, I have this bag in my fridge of something like 15 to 20 cucumbers. <laughs> I love so I'm it. like, oh, gee, I better have some cucumber with something today. Totally. Well, and last week you mentioned that you were having a similar challenge with zucchini. I have some recipes that I can share with you. They're a little bit different. I keep meaning to send those to you. Like they're not like the standard zucchini you know, preparations. But um, mm, but yeah, sure. I imagine the garden has been, a, and I have had the pleasure of seeing the garden on Zoom at least, but I imagine that's been really wonderful in a number of different ways. And it, it makes me think about, you know, obviously I like to ask my guests about self-care and what that means to them. Does that, does that factor in? Like, is your garden part of your self-care? Oh, totally. Yes. I mean, you know, my morning routine is, you know, I wake up, Usually it's around 6 a.m. It just, that's just because that's when I wake up and it's light and, and I like get myself up. I might do a quick workout. I might not, but like there's always got to be garden time in which I'm like snooping around, clipping something, picking something, getting annoyed at weeds, like whatever it is. It's not always like this great, you know, meditative thing. It's actually, you know, I'm, I'm reserving the time to sort of do the best I can to take care of this garden, which I'm a total novice at. <laughs> and like, and I'm learning, I'm learning what plants do as they develop. I'm learning how to recognize plants. I'm learning how to see how the plants interact with each other in an ecosystem of bugs and critters and birds and things like that. And that part of it is, I think that's a big part of self-care and that I reserve that time to do that. And it's, it's great. I like it. I've been wanting to do that forever. Yeah, I know. As an urban dweller myself, I'm so envious of your garden. What happens if you, if you sort of sideline self-care? What do you notice happens in your day or in your life? Ooh, well, I'll tell you, like, I think being in front of a computer as much as we are in our modern life is really not so good for our bodies. And, and maybe even our minds, but I think physically is where I feel the effects first of sitting and 
mouse and all that kind of stuff. And so I think where we're at today is that like we're expected to do the majority, if you're a knowledge worker, the majority of your job is in front of a computer. Now that would be totally different if I'm a landscape architect or something like that. And sometimes people choose those professions because then they don't have to have that like stationary sitting <laughs> thing that, that people who work in offices have. But I also think there's another aspect of it, which is attention. Like I actually find it really hard to be on those Zoom meetings all day. Oh my gosh, so hard. Right? Yes. Like I can't just sit there and look at people's faces on a computer. I can't. And you you know, right? You've seen me walking around like at, like at some point, unless I'm presenting something for people to look at, in which case I'm otherwise engaged. But if if I if I have to like just look at people and talk about stuff looking at a computer screen, I get distracted like that. Like I, I go off, I check my email, I like talk to some, you know, talk to my son or and I can't focus. So I think that that work environment is, it's hard. We, we need to take breaks and it's hard to take breaks in the middle of the day when we've got those back-to-back things. So I think from a self-care standpoint, it's that that's hard on us. Yeah, I think I agree with you 100%. I think I, I was saying to the team the other day, like how just, you know, the research is coming about how detrimental it is for us to be on these video calls all day long. And and it is it's what we have to do. Like, I get it. It's like how we're making it through this, those of us who have work like this. And I'm very grateful that I can that I can work that way. But yeah, you got to like, yeah, I need to take a cue from you more often. It's funny because, you know, here I am, like having been, you know, helping women with self-care for 10 plus years. And, you know, in this in this current environment with the pandemic, I have been less, I mean, like self-care in general, I'm good about it, but I'm not as good about taking breaks away from the screen as I used to be for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. And yeah, walking during a meeting, like you can call into Zoom, Laura, like it's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody has to do it. And that, well, I mean, and we're lucky, I think it, at Oxygen, we have a really great work, work culture that's very flexible. And, you know, I mean, I kind of think of myself as, well, okay, what's my role in this meeting? If I have to lead it, present it, well, then I'll sit at my desk and sort of be there. But if I can contribute in some other way and be focused while walking, then that's better for everybody on this meeting, right? And that's what we want is we want people to be engaged and focused. And you can't always do that just like sitting there in front of a computer. Ugh. It's like totally so hard. So, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, this is so I I mean, we could talk for like two hours, like I feel like and you and I've only scratched the surface and getting to know each other, too. And I feel like we have way more similarities than we even realize. But is there anything else that you would share with women listening who are in the middle of a a reinvention of some kind? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've spent my whole life reinventing constantly. It's like, so when I was growing up, my parents owned a restaurant. My father actually went to MIT. So my father's from China. He went to MIT, got a PhD in theoretical physics from MIT. And then like the time that he went out into the workforce, it was just weird timing and he couldn't get a job and he had to make ends meet. So he opened up a Chinese restaurant (laughs) and that's what he did. And like sold insurance and all that. So like I had that model and my, my father's very, very eccentric. 
and, you know, kind of like somebody should follow that guy around with a film crew kind of eccentric. But, you know, what I had was watching him make huge shifts in his own profession and just do it. He just did it. And so I thought, well, okay, if he did it, I can do that. Uh, Maybe I wasn't that conscious, but I think we're always having to adapt. and, And I think for, you know, for women, we also have the added issues or burdens sometimes, or maybe they're not burdens, but like we have added responsibilities when we become moms, when we have families, when the expectations of what our role is in our gender is sometimes challenged or reversed or, you know, because for a long time in my first marriage, I was a breadwinner, you know, or a primary breadwinner, I should say. And my husband at the time was a musician. Like I mentioned, he played the, plays the oboe and he's fabulous and he was doing great, very, very successful. Yet we needed, you know, my steady job, my health insurance, things like that. So I think we take on a lot in our different roles as trying to be professional, trying to make changes and shifts and things. And I, I think the one thing that you can't do is have a fixed idea of how everything is going to be because <laughs> guaranteed things are going to change. And the more open you can be, which is hard, takes a lot of work to be open-minded. But if when you can be open-minded, you can realize so many other possibilities, including balancing all these different things like family and being a mom and, and what that entails and having a profession and maybe changing your profession and maybe like shifting all over the place. All of those things are possible, but you have to like let a lot of things go and you have to do work to know yourself. I I think that's critical. I love it. That's such a great place to end. And um, I know that that was super helpful to, to so many listeners. So thank you so much for doing this, Catherine. This was really fun. Hmm, totally. I got to have a little drink. And, you know, <laughs> when we get off the phone, I'm going to make myself the eggplant pizza or tomato pizza that, with the eggplant from the garden. So nice. Maybe with yeah. some cucumbers just because. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> there's going to be a side cucumber salad in there for sure. <laughs> love it. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Women on the Rise is produced by me, Lara Dolch, with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit laradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. It's all a huge help to the show, and I truly appreciate it. 